Hello again, everybody, and once again, welcome to Kid Kong at the Movies. I am your host, the one and only Kid Kong. Last week, we went back to doing a rewind review, and we jumped on Harry and the Hendersons. This week, we're going back to regularly scheduled Kid Kong at the Movies content, and we're going to be talking about a movie that I saw in theaters twice. I owned it on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. And to me, not only is this one of the best unsung comic book movies, it's just a good movie, period. You are welcome to disagree with me if you choose, but personally, I absolutely love it. We're going to be talking about the 2003 film Hulk. Hulk was directed by Ang Lee. Of course, we talked about Ang Lee real recently with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He also directed Pushing Hands, Sense and Sensibility, Brokeback Mountain, Life of Pi. Save Spiel. It was written by... Okay. Written by is kind of a weird phrase for this film, and I'll, I'll get into it why in a little bit. But the main three writers that are credited are James Shamus, who, of course, is a frequent collaborator with Ang Lee. Uh, Michael France, who directed or writ, wrote rather Cliffhanger... GoldenEye, Punisher, and the first Fantastic Four movie, and John Turman. John Turman had wrote Rise of the Silver Surfer. Uh, he also wrote episodes of Crow, Stairway to Heaven, and wrote unproduced treatments for films on the Silver Surfer and Iron Fist. Made on a budget of $137 million, pulled in $245.4 million at the box office. It met with some decent reviews here and there. Like, it... it it didn't blow certain people away while other people greatly enjoyed it. Uh, ultimately, the sequel that was going to happen to this was retooled into The Incredible Hulk, which, of course, is part of the greater MCU at large. Uh, basically, the idea in this film is that it's a we get a take on Bruce's origin involving his father running a lot of experiments for the government and experimenting with his own DNA. Well, what happens when you experiment with DNA? You're married and you have kids. Kids have that. Uh, and it follows him as he, due to a laboratory accident, unwittingly awakens the ability to transform into the Hulk throughout the film. This film had been in development in some form since 1990. The character of Bruce Banner, also known as the Hulk. Now, I say Bruce Banner. We know Bruce. We know the Hulk is Bruce is David Bruce Banner. We know this. We under we know this if we're Hulk fans. In this film, he is referred to solely as Bruce Krenzler because he was adopted by a foster family whose last name was Krenzler. Anyway, Banner the Hulk, whatever you want to call him, was played by Eric Bana. Eric Bana was in Chopper, Black Hawk Down. He voiced one of the three sharks in Finding Nemo. He was in Troy. He was in Lucky You. The other Bolin girl. He played Nero in the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Uh, he was in The Time Traveler's Wife. And he is involved in the movie. It is in post-production right now. He voices Monterey Jack in the upcoming Chippendale Rescue Rangers live-action CGI cartoon animated movie. If you have not seen the trailer for that movie, you have to see it. This looks like it's going to be the first good crossover movie with animation and live-action since Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
Character of Betty Ross was played by Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly, of course, uh, got her break in Once Upon a Time in America, but she's also appeared in a Labyrinth, The Rocketeer, Dark City, Requiem for a Dream, A Beautiful Mind, Blood Diamond, Inkheart, The Day the Earth Stood Still. She's been in a lot of things like that. General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross was played by Sam Elliott in this film. Sam Elliott, of course, very well known for his voice, mustache. Uh, he was in Frogs, Mask, The Quick and the Dead, the original Quick and the Dead, not the Sam Raimi one that has nothing in common with the actual Louis L'Amour. Uh, Roadhouse, Prancer, Tombstone, Gettysburg, The Big Lebowski, We Were Soldiers. He was in Ghost Rider. He was in Up in the Air. He was in A Star is Born, which actually got him an Academy Award nomination. And you'll also recognize him from Netflix's The Ranch. Major Glenn Talbot, who in the comics is a rival for Bruce as far as affections for Betty, also being a professional rival for Ross, was played by Josh Lucas. Now, Josh Lucas was in Alive, American Psycho, Session 9, Sweet Home Alabama, Secondhand Lions, The Lincoln Lawyer, Big Sur, Ford vs. Ferrari, and most recently in The Forever Purge. Finally, the character David Banner, who is in this film, the father of Bruce Banner, of course, in the comics, Brian Banner is the father of Bruce, uh, was played by Nick Nolte. We've talked about Nick Nolte when we did Warrior. Of course, he was in North Dallas 40, 48 Hours, as well as another 48 Hours, Weeds, Cape Fear, Blue Chips, Affliction, Thin Red Line, Simpatico, Tropic Thunder, the aforementioned Warrior, Noah, Angel Has Fallen. In this film, they cr they combined characters Absorbing Man and Zax into the father for Bruce Banner. In addition to that, you had Kevin Rankin, who was in Breaking Bad as one of the three little uh, Aryan gang members who kidnapped Jesse, uh, appeared as the colleague that Bruce actually saves, which triggers his transformations. Uh, Celia Weston, who is without question best known for her run on TV's Alice, she portrayed a character for 95 episodes in that, plays Bruce's adopted mother, Mrs. Krenzler, and Cara Buono, who is... Uh, this is a show I have not seen, despite being told I should enjoy it. Uh, but she plays Karen Wheeler in Stranger Things. She plays Bruce's birth mother, Edith. Of course, this being a Marvel film, you cannot have a Marvel film without a Stan Lee cameo. And in addition to that, Lou Ferrigno, who was the physical form of the Hulk from the TV series in the 70s, he also cameoed. They both cameo as um, security guards at the school that Banner works at while Ferrigno also provides vocal effects for the Hulk himself. All right, let's get into this. Avi Arad, who, of course, I've mentioned on this show before for his work with Spider-Man, and Gail Ann Hurd, who I've also mentioned on this show for her work on Tremors, began developing a live-action Hulk movie in 1990. This was the same year that the final movie that was part of the continuity of the 70s Incredible Hulk series, aired. Now, I actually had the one on VHS where you see Thor. I did not have the one with Daredevil, unfortunately, but I have seen it as well. Universal got the rights for the character and set up development in 1992. Michael France and Stan Lee were invited in 93 and commissioned and they, to Universal Studios, and they commissioned France to write a script which would have involved Hulk fighting terrorists, which... That was an idea that France disliked. He's like, the Incredible Hulk really doesn't deal with terrorists in the comics. Because of his reluctance to write that way, they brought in Terman instead to write the script. Now, Terman had been a Hulk fan of the comics for his entire life, 
And because of that, he had Stan Lee's approval in 1994 to begin writing it. He submitted more than 10 drafts, which were heavily inspired by the Tales to Astonish issues, which would pit Hulk against General Ross and the military. Um, he would have included the leader in multiple stories that he tried, as well as the actual atomic explosion origin featuring Rick Jones as well. To that end, Universal had some mixed feelings on that. They felt that it would be difficult to try and get that kind of a story explained in a single movie. Uh, ultimately, many of the aspects that were in a lot of his drafts would be used by future writers on this. Gail Ann Hurd got her husband, John Hensley, to co-produce the film, while Universal lined up Industrial Lights and Magic to make the CGI for the Hulk himself, and they once again went to France and asked him if he could take some of the drafts that Terman had written and kind of polish them up and write a screenplay out of it. However, Joe Johnston, who was uh, involved heavily in Jumanji, became the director in April of 1997. And when that happened, because Hensley had worked with Johnson before, Hensley was asked to rewrite the script. France was fired before he wrote a single page so that Hensley could write. Now, Jumanji had been extremely well received, so it, it would make sense to try and play with a hot hand like that, but that's now twice that they have asked France and then turned him away. Of course, Johnson would ultimately drop out in July of 1997 in order to do October Sky. When Johnson dropped out, Hensley managed to convince Universal to allow him to direct. This is not a small feat, because... This would have been his first theatrical direction, period. He'd only ever been involved in co-production, things like that. Like He'd never actually directed a film. While they agreed to let him direct, they brought Terman back to write two more drafts for the movie, and then they would get Zach Penn to polish up and rewrite it and hammer it into a proper screenplay. Now, Zach Penn would go on to direct The Incredible Hulk in 2008. His script that he had would have involved the Hulk fighting a school of sharks and also ended up featuring two different scenes that would make its way into his Incredible Hulk movie. Bruce finding out that he cannot be physically intimate without risking transforming, and also the idea of a fall from a helicopter triggering his transformation as well. Hensley didn't like that and ended up rewriting the, the script from scratch. Came up with a completely brand new storyline, which would have involved Banner in experimenting with gamma-radiated insects on three convicts, which would have created bug-like mutated men that would cause havoc that Hulk would have to deal with once his transformation had happened. You can find some concept art for these online. Um... Uh, I think some I think some of that aspect ended up getting used in the final film, but I'll get to that shortly. Filming was set to begin in December of 1997 and planned for a summer of 1999 release. However, it got pushed back. Ansley brought on multiple new writers to try and redo the script to fix it up and make it a little bit better, including J.J. Abrams, Scott Alexander, and Larry Karashevsky. Hensley was still attached to direct at this point, and by October of 1997, Hulk entered pre-production with prosthetics, uh, makeup. They had already begun working on the CGI for the Hulk and for the Bugmen. By this point in time, the budget had gone from being about $45 million 
well past 100 million by March of 1998. Universal put it on hiatus at that point because they were concerned that between the accelerating budget, filming schedule, and the fact that this was a first-time director, there were growing concerns that this was not going to go as well as they wanted to. Over $20 million had already been spent just in the first couple of months of pre-production. Hensley would attempt to rewrite the script to try and lower the budget, and after nine months of doing this, dropped out. He felt that the rewrites were too complicated, stressful, and felt that he had ultimately not only wasted nine months of his life, but he had wasted nine months of time that had gone for Marvel, for Universal, and just ultimately it was a waste of time and money. And he, I think honestly he cracked. That's what I honestly believe was that he bit off more than he could chew with it. And it, it is what it is. There's nothing to be ashamed about with that. There's nothing to be upset about about that. It just, it happens that way sometimes. Eight months later, this film was brought out of hiatus and out of development hell because Michael France finally convinced Universal to let him write a script for it. Not write a draft, not rewrite somebody else's work, not come up with some ideas, straight up write the script for it. He felt that someone in Universal was not sure if this was supposed to be sci-fi comedy or what, and he was directed to write the script as both. There's a lot of studio interference with this already. You, you, can, you can sense it, just from the fact that by the time all was said and done, and after Ang Lee had gotten involved, over 20 different writers had actually worked on this film at some point, and there had been over 40 different drafts altogether on this. He was fast-tracking the script himself from July through September of 1999, to try and get everything ready for an April 2000 filming schedule. His script would have been much more in line with the 80s stories that introduced Banner's abusive father. Uh, his script would have had Banner trying to create cells with regenerative abilities in order to try and help him believe like that he's not like his father, that genetically he's not like that. But his anger at management issues that he already had were going to be involved as well. Uh, some elements of this did eventually make it into the final script, including Black Ops soldiers coming up on him, uh, the Gamma Sphere, the whole tragic romance that he experiences with him and Betty, and also the don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. In his script, that line would have been what Banner's father would have said every time before he commenced to beating his son. Do you notice how dark these are getting? The Hulk is one of those characters that can actually explore that darkness and that, that those elements of your psyche because he's rooted in anger. He's rooted in... And, and what comes with anger? Jealousy, greed, rejection, all kinds of things. He ultimately turned in his finished drafts in January of 2000 in order to try and get this on track for an April film. After all that... All the work he had done, being rejected twice, and then finally getting the chance to do it. And despite the fact that the producers and Universal approved of France's script, they would still hire scriptwriters Michael Tolkien, who's an Academy Award nominee for his film The Player, and David Hayter, who wrote the screenplay for Watchmen to adapt it from that, to rewrite this in January of 2000 and in September, respectively, for that year. 
I don't I don't know if there was just a problem with Michael France in the office or what, but the the poor man couldn't catch a break with this. Uh, Hater script would have featured the leader Zax and the Absorbing Man as villains. They would have been colleagues of Bruce's that would have been caught in the same incident that created the Hulk. Of course, that's not at all how those characters work out. And to that end, with those scripts in mind, Universal, fresh off of his success with writing everything for Crouch of Tiger, Hidden Dragon, hired Ang Lee to direct, and his producing partner Shamus was brought on in January 20th of 2001. Uh, Ang Lee completely disliked Hater's script and had Shamus rewrite the whole thing. Merging Absorbing Man and aspects of Zack's with Banner's father, aspects of Michael Francis' uh, run, as well as Terman's. Uh, he also decided to take influence from King Kong, Faust, and Greek mythology in order to interpret the story, and borrowed elements of Beauty and the Beast for the Banner-Betty relationship, as well as the direct influence that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was on the character itself. Shamus used the storyline that introduced Banner's father, Brian, and brought it to Lee. You know, and, and Lee had had success in his previous films, expanding on father-son themes. So, for him, having that involved in the Hulk would bring it to a way that he could better understand and better direct what he was trying to do. Shamus was still writing the script in October of 2001, a couple of months before filming would finally commence. So, from beginning this back in 1990 until 2001, there had been five different directors attached. Four different writers that were directly attached. Not to mention the 18 others that they had submit drafts and doctor things here and there. I mean, I, I said earlier that I felt like Iron Man had one of the hardest productions to get made considering it started in the 90s. Hulk seems to be on par for that. France read every single script so as to determine which writers were going to end up with final credit. Because so many of these different scripts and drafts had been borrowed this from, borrowed that from, merged this here, merged that there, that it, you had to try and figure out who was going to get the credit. To that end, both Shamus and David Hayter claimed that they were trying to make Banner more in-depth than what France was doing. Like, they, 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 they spoke not highly at all of France and Terman's work in interviews. They, they flat out denigrated them to them, saying that, you know, what they were trying to do was stupid and wouldn't work, and we, we had to try and bring it to where an audience could actually appreciate what they were watching. To that end, Shamus elected to receive solo credit as writer on this film. Fortunately... There are things and safeguards in place to prevent that kind of a uh, chicanery from happening. And France and Terman still got credit for the many elements that they brought in as well to the final script. Uh, far as I can see, other than utilizing the father in this film and taking the insect idea as well as the Hulk dogs that had been seen in comics before, Shamus had very little that was purely his on this film. So, by December of 2001, it was set to begin production, and release was scheduled for June of 2003. That is just the writing process, folks. 
casting, the care the the role of Bruce Banner was a pretty difficult one to cast. Multiple actors heavily pursued the role, and there were other actors that the studio heavily pursued for the role. Uh, Billy Crudup, who was Manhattan in Watchmen, turned it down flat. Uh, Johnny Depp was under consideration at one point. Steve Buscemi heavily contested for the role of Bruce Banner, but ultimately lost interest. I love Steve Buscemi. Uh, he had one of my favorite runs in anything, playing Nucky on Boardwalk Empire. But I think he would have been a terrible, terrible choice for Bruce Banner. David Duchovny, best known for X-Files, and Jeff Goldblum both auditioned for the role as well. Tom Cruise was approached for it, but turned it down due to his connection to Iron Man. Unfortunately, that would not happen. And Edward Norton expressed interest in the film role. But ultimately, the final script, he felt, was a disappointment, so he would pass on it. Years later, when he was approached again for The Incredible Hulk, reading the script, he actually liked what was in that, and he was more than willing to do that, and was like, yeah, absolutely, I will jump off on that. Upon getting the direction nod for the film, Ang Lee felt like he was drawn to Eric Bana. He had recently seen the film Chopper, which Bana had was arguably Bana's breakout role, and then Banya was signed in October 2001 for a total of three films. He was in heavy contention for Ghost Rider at, at one point, but had lost that out to Nicolas Cage, and while he was not really a fan of the comics, by his own admission, he was absolutely obsessed with the TV series from the 70s with Lou Ferrigno as a child. Growing up in Australia, they had limited access to certain things they were able to watch, that was one of the big things they were able to watch. So I really don't blame him for being more attached to that than the comics themselves. For Betty Ross, Ang Lee being the director of this film was what actually attracted Jennifer Connelly to the film. She was very much excited with the idea of working with him. And also she liked the concept being along the lines of tragedies, dramas, you know, this... As I mentioned earlier, this big green monster for the rage and jealousy and whatnot, that is what really drew her to the role. Now, the, the studios had considered Nicole Kidman and Anne Hathaway. Now, what's funny about Anne Hathaway was by this point in time, she'd only been in a couple of things. She'd been in a TV series for a couple of years, but it had her breakout as Mia Thermopolis in Princess Diaries. That was her only real big theatrical release that she had had at that point. So this would have been catching her super young in her career. Ultimately, she passed on it feeling that she would have better opportunity down the road. You be the judge as to whether or not she has, considering she's won Academy Awards since then. Uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, Sam Elliott signed on, sight unseen, and script unread due to his sheer desire to work with Ang Lee. Ang Lee was a big name in direction in the early 2000s. In order to get ready for the role, he not only spent time with actual military generals, he researched the character Ross in the comics. And when I say he researched the character, I mean he went and met with Stan Lee and he met with other people at Marvel and asked, which issues of the Hulk should I read, whether they're collected issues or whatever the case may be, that will give me the best chance of understanding the character that I am portraying? To that end, I loved William Hurt as General Ross. May he rest in peace. He recently passed away. But I always felt that Sam Elliott was the better choice 
of the two of them for it. And it is possible going forward if they choose to continue with General Ross, they could reach back out to him again. Who, who the hell knows? Uh, both Ang Lee and Seamus, their script that they had, the way they had written it out, Nolte was in mind when they wrote David Banner's parts. And after meeting with Nick Nolte, Ang Lee got him to agree when he described the film as a Greek tragedy. As I mentioned before, this is a Marvel film. Stan Lee is going to cameo in it. He was happy that not only did he got to cameo in the film, but he was happy because he got to cameo in a scene with Lou Ferrigno playing a security guard. Lou Ferrigno, of course, would play a security guard in The Incredible Hulk as well in his cameo on that. Everything else that they cast was really simple. It's just they had a couple of minor actors playing soldiers. Like It was nothing too, too bad. Filming began March 18th of 2002 and lasted until August 6th of 2002. They started things off in Arizona and then they moved to Bay Area, San Francisco, April 19th. They filmed at the Advanced Light Source, which is a laboratory building in Berkeley, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, Oakland, Treasure Island Military Base, and the Grand Sequoia Woods near Porterville. They also filmed in both California and Utah's deserts. The penultimate fight between Bruce and his father takes place at Pear Lake in Porterville. In late July, they moved filming to the Universal Backlot in Los Angeles, Stage 12, in order to film the last little bit. Altogether, filming hired over 3,000 workers to the Porterville area and brought in $10 million to the local economy. The music was scored by Danny Elfman about a month before production was over. I will get to that in a moment to explain it as well. Eric Banya did not enjoy filming this movie. He felt like he was isolated throughout most of it. And to that end, when I say that, most of what he has filmed, he has gone on record saying he was always indoors. He, he would occasionally have one or two actors that he was working with. But while he was doing that, it's like he said that it was almost like Ang Lee was making an entirely different movie. He was making the Hulk movie. He, was, he had people outside working with explosions, working with stunts, uh, staring at tennis balls on sticks to give an idea of what they were looking at. Uh, he also disliked the split screen effect that Ang Lee went with for the film. It mimicked how comic pages were, but it also required a lot more takes, and it was more than he was used to. On the one hand, I kind of liked that idea of the split screen like that. On the other hand... I can see how, as an actor, that would be a little frustrating to have to constantly deal with that. The CGI that was used to create Dobby in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the techniques they used for that, helped them create the Hulk the way they did it. Also used some of Pixar's tech. Ang Lee did a lot of Hulk motion capture for that. Yes, most of the time when you see the Hulk moving around, it is Ang Lee doing the motion capture for that stuff. Also... This movie had a problem when I was a kid, as far as I was concerned, with interpreting the Hulk's physical strength. I said they went from Matter Hulk gets, Stronger Hulk gets, to Matter Hulk gets, Bigger Hulk gets. As time has gone by, I have softened on my stance on that. My friend Ian, who's been on the show, pointed out that it was done almost to like pay tribute to the fact that various artists and various writers 
have depicted the Hulk at different sizes throughout his run. <clears throat> he would go from being about a 9 or 10 foot tall human being to somebody that was so physically large he could hold Betty in one hand. That's where you see some King Kong influence as well. Uh, as I said earlier, the Danny Elfman did the music. I said I'd bring a little bit more to that in a minute. Um, Elfman was just coming off Spider-Man the year before. Ang Lee's normal composer that he worked with was rejected by Universal because they felt that he took too non-traditional of, of an approach involving African chanting, drums. Like the, the, they felt that it didn't really work all that well. There were 37 days left to finish out, and Elfman agreed to do so out of respect for Ang Lee. Now, some of the original score, like the drums and African chanting, did manage to stay in, but by and large, it was all new stuff that he wrote. <clears throat> Universal spent $2 million on a Super Bowl commercial, as well as a short 70-second trailer that was attached to Spider-Man to try and market this film, as well as coming out with a novelization that was written by an actual Hulk comic book writer. And they also had a video game come out and some merchandise here. Not a whole lot. It was released June 20th, 2003, and pulled in $62.1 million on its opening weekend, knocking Finding Nemo out of the top spot when it did so. Its second week, it dropped over 70% from what it made the first one. It is the first opener in history to have more than a $20 million opening to drop by over 70%. <clears throat> it would ultimately pull in $132.2 million in North America, opposite of a $137 million budget, and it pulled in $113.2 million worldwide, bringing its grand total to $245.4 million. It is the highest opener to not hit $150 million in North America. As I said earlier, it met some middling reviews. Uh, one of the most common complaints was that there was too much talking and not enough action. Uh, reviewer for Variety said specifically, too much talk, not enough smash. Uh, now, Roger Ebert actually liked it. He felt that Ang Lee was actually trying to portray and tell a story involving one of these characters instead of just going for the cheap pop of the special effects, the big boom, the big things. He praised the action in it. He felt that the uh, acting was done very, very well between the characters. Retrospectively, as time has gone by, this film has gotten much more favorable reviews um, between the less-than-stellar box office and Universal not managing to meet the filming deadline, the second and third films were ultimately killed off right. The second film was planned for a May 2005 release and was going to be titled Incredible Hulk. It would have featured the leader, the Grey Hulk persona, Joe Fixit, and the Abomination in this film. Marvel had personally requested that, that Abomination be seen as a real threat to the Hulk when... Thunderbolt Ross was seen as a less than straight-up threat in this first film, which, again, that's something that probably would have been addressed as the movies had gone by. Ultimately, the MCU was able to get The Incredible Hulk, change it to a reboot. Uh, they borrowed certain elements from what had been planned for the sequel, but ultimately it was not done. And that was the end of the sad tale of The Hulk. Um, 
like I said, Eric Bana had it signed on for three films and was preparing to do the second film under the auspices that this time he was going to get much more to do. I, it's a, it's an unpopular opinion to some, but I personally felt that this was a superior Hulk film to Incredible Hulk in a lot of ways. Um, the scene involving Hulk fighting with the tanks in the desert and the helicopters in the desert, that is the most incredible Hulk thing I have ever seen brought to life on the big screen. This was the first time that we got a CG Hulk instead of it being just merely a person in costume or makeup for it. Uh, I do feel like they overstated some of his healing factor because while Hulk does have a fast healing factor, it, there were aspects of it that did not translate too well. Um, the fight scene with the dogs, as an adult, my complaint on that is that it can be difficult to see what's going on in the dark. Um, I thought Eric Bannett did an excellent job with what he had, and I really wish we could have seen more out of him. Um, with the success of Spider-Man No Way Home and the rumors that had came out beforehand of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield reprising their roles, Eric Bannon was asked in an interview, you know, is that something that you personally would be willing to do? And he said, at this time, no. With what it was done and how it was done, I don't see myself being willing to do that again. But Eric Bannon is also 53 years old. He doesn't look like it. But he's 53. Um, there are rumors that he will appear as simply as Bruce Banner, not as the Hulk, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But at this point in time, there are so many rumors flying around for that film that people are bound to disappoint themselves. Again, I, I love this movie. You know, I rewatched it recently and Hulk only talks twice in this film. Much like he only talks once at the end of The Incredible Hulk when he says Hulk smash and says Betty's name. And we really don't get much dialogue out of him in the MCU until Thor Ragnarok, where Hulk has been Hulk for a long time at that point. Um, when in one of the little segments where Banner is like shaving and he's wiping the, the window and he see a mirror rather and the Hulk punches through and says puny human that's yeah that that's cool that's that's a Hulk thing to say puny human that's that's a Hulk thing what still manages to raise the hair on my arms is when his father has taken over the water he has pushed him down there and he is trying to freeze him out and say that he's just going to take all of his power and you get, like, inside Banner's head, you hear him talking. He's like, you think you can do it? Take it. Take it. And then it jumps out to Hulk screaming, take it all, and just roaring into that. It still causes the hair on my arms to stand up. The, um, the sheer raw power that you feel coming out of that and the self-hatred that comes out of that as well. To me, that hit it more on the nose than almost anything we had seen the Hulk do. I've never been thrilled with how Hulk talks in the MCU. Yeah, I got a bit of a kick out of him saying puny god after smashing Loki around. And to do that, they actually blended both Mark Ruffalo and Lou Ferrigno's voices. This take-it-all 
and Hulk going Hulk smash in Incredible Hulk are the best they've ever done. You're probably wondering why I did this movie when I had earlier stated that Iron Man is probably going to be one of the only MCU films that I did. Hulk is not considered MCU. I've also talked about Spider-Man on this show. And I probably, again, I probably will not talk about another Hulk film. If I ever do another comic book movie on this show, it'll either end up being Logan or it'll be Watchmen. Um, as far as those kinds of things go. Now, I am planning on covering the Dark Knight trilogy in the future. That's not happening right now, but it is coming in the future at some point. Um, I, again, I love the Hulk as a character. I've read his comics as a child. I've watched the cartoon series. And I love this movie. You know, it's not for everybody, and that's fine. But I love it. So, to that end, this was Hulk. Ang Lee's Hulk. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm not 100% certain what I'm doing next week. I am leaning between Gremlins and Ghostbusters. But you're just going to have to take this next one as a surprise if that's the case. Because, again, I'm sorry to say that I just can't quite think of what I'm going to cover next week. But this was Ang Lee's Hulk. I had a blast. I rewatched it in order for this movie. If you haven't seen this movie in a while, or if you've never seen this movie, put it in. You might be pleasantly surprised by enjoying it. Again, I gotta stress, there is quite a bit of dialogue in this. There is a lot of story exposition, but it's done in a very good manner. Like, it's not a bunch of needless, like, A to B to C exposition. There are things that get said that are called back to later in the film, so... If you haven't seen it in a while or if you've never seen it, give it a watch. I promise you'll enjoy it. This was Hulk. I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies. Y'all have a pleasant week.